I, but I also think self-awareness is a big part of that. I, I was never the fake it till you make it guy either. I wasn't like coming in acting like I was big stuff when I wasn't either there. You know what I mean? There's definitely a line between that confidence and that arrogance. And, and especially when the arrogance is completely unfounded, that's even worse than arrogance that has, you know what I mean? Like if somebody's arrogant and they've are amazing and they've done everything right. And they've like, you know, built this amazing thing that nobody's done. It's like, okay, it's still annoying that you're arrogant, but at least you have the right to be, you know what I mean? Like with some people, it's like, where is this arrogance even coming from? Like you don't even deserve to be this cocky right now. And so I, I was, it was never the fake it till you make it type of mentality for me. It was just, you know, like it was a level of confidence in like my ability to learn and adapt and reinvent myself. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. Welcome back, everyone, to American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today's guest is an expert on building networks and relationships, and his own network is massive, and the multi-tiered relationships that he's built are the direct result of the values that he's not only brought to those relationships, but the value that he's gained from them as well. His success as a top podcast creator, a real estate investor, and relationship expert can appear to be all about fun and luck, but in reality, it's a world away from where he actually started. So please help me welcome Travis Chapel to the American Sippets podcast. Today, Travis will share his personal journey on how his life went from one extreme to another. He talks about what led him to step out of the ice isolated community that he grew up in, uh, onto a path to the seminary, and into now what is a national arena. He also offers hard-earned insight into what it takes to build and grow the kind of relationships and expertise that will help you achieve your own goals, dreams, and success. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Travis Chapel. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. Today's guest is Travis Chapel. He has made a business, a big business, mind you, out of relationship building. And it is so cool because it is a path that most people aren't even aware is a potential path, but he's made it not just a business, but a passion. And, a, and he's built a following of people that are learning from him and making huge progress in their own lives from the things he's teaching them. His own podcast, Build Your Network, has done so well that he's now teaching others how to recreate that success through his company, Gorilla Podcast. Travis, you're everywhere. You've got masterminds, you're a speaker, you're a consultant, you're a coach. You've been featured all across the country on big uh, publications, and today you are right here on American Snippets. We're so glad to, to add our platform to those that you've been featured on. I'm really excited to dig into your story like we talked about just a quick moment ago. It is a path that not a lot of people would consider a path at all. I can't wait to hear about the reaction you got from friends and family when you told them you were embarking on this and, uh, and where you are now. So let's get started, talk a little bit about your company today. Um, where it stands today and what you're offering. You offer a lot of things, right? But you know, your, your podcast and your coaching, let's get into that. Yes, ma'am. Well, first off, thanks, Barb, for having me. I appreciate it. I know how much time and dedication goes into curating a guest list for, uh, for your podcasts and things. So I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, so the, what, we, what we're doing, focusing a lot on today is is more kind of done for you production and hybrid coaching a little bit uh, for for people who want entrepreneurs specifically who 
know that a podcast could be beneficial for their brand, but just have no idea how to even get it going, get it started, don't know the equipment, the back end, the media host, how to even get it out into the world. So um, we just take on all that production work for them. And then uh, the, the big thing that we do that's different, I think, than the most of the other production companies is that uh, me and my in-house coach and producer both have shows that have a lot of listeners and that are you know, have done pretty well. So um, the, when, we, when we're consulting some of the people that we chat with, it's not from a position of, well, we produce podcasts for other people and they've had success. It's like, no, no, we produced our own shows. And then people asked us so many questions about our shows that we decided to start helping people do this as well. So it was kind of out of a um, you know necessity after people kept asking questions about it. But uh, to be honest, the big thing now that we're focusing on is uh, the this, this software that we're launching in the next few weeks that basically connects podcast hosts with guests for their shows and not just podcast hosts. It would be for any sort of independent content creators, YouTube channels, bloggers, authors, anybody that interviews somebody else for their content specifically can go to this uh, software that we built and book high level guests by paying them to be on their show, paying them for, paying them for their time. Um, and uh, so that's one of the, the big projects that we've been really working on that we're launching really soon that I'm excited about. It's called Guestio. Um, so that's, that's really where we're focusing a lot of our time and attention at the moment. Yeah, I did just see that on your site and I'm always curious and I always like to learn uh, how it goes. So I signed up, I went into your funnel, I signed up and I popped my email in and, and got the information. It does look really cool. And as somebody who, you know, like you just said, does have to spend a lot of time curating guests, and, um, and also getting yourself out there. The other flip side you offer is that you offer people that software correct offers people the opportunity to work with you and it to get booked on platforms as well. Yes. Yeah, so we're, it's basically kind of like a dual marketplace. So we'll have an entire marketplace full of people who want to be guests on shows. Um, and then they basically set their own price. Like, Hey, this is how much I charge to be a guest on your show. Um, and then we'll have the reverse of that as well. So we'll have a bunch of shows that are populated in there that are saying, this is how much we charge to be a guest on our show. Um, and then, uh, and then we'll, you know, as, as we kind of get a little bit bigger and things, we'll be adding in some verification tools to make sure that people aren't wasting money by booking themselves on a show that they paid for that just doesn't have as many downloads as they thought they would. So we're going to be doing some things to try to verify and bring a little bit of regulation into making sure that people are getting what they pay for, things like that. So um, once we have a big enough database, that's definitely something that we're open to doing is creating our own actually like concierge service to uh, take people through if they're launching a book or launching some sort of offer or course or software or something like that. And they want a lot of publicity. They can go on a quick, um, you know, content tour. Um, so I think that'll be a really cool feature as well. Yeah, that is really cool. I don't know that I've heard of anybody else doing that in the podcast realm. Um, especially not the verified part. Yeah. But that, that's the big thing that software allows you to do is kind of scale that verification model a little bit. Cause you know, if you get, if you get an agency and, and no shade to any of those agencies, I work with a lot of them for my show and things. Um, and I have a few friends that own those types of agencies and I think that they do a great job, but, uh, the big thing that they can't do is that uh, ultimately if they're pitching big shows, the leverage is not in the hands of the agency. The leverage is in the hands of the show because they're ultimately the one that decides who comes on their show and they have the giant audience. So they have the real asset to wield, if that makes sense. It does. Um, and so <laughs> the, the agency doesn't really have any say 
about that. And if they go, well, I want to make sure that you have X amount of downloads, that show can just be like, uh, yeah, well, I'm not really that worried about you sending me guests because I already have a thousand in the, you know, in the lineup that are hoping to come on my show anyway. So like, if you really want all that, I'm like, I'm not going to share all my stats with you, you know, for so just because you're some random agency that asked for it. You know what I mean? So like, a lot of people just end up saying, okay, no worries. And they base it off of, you know, how many ratings do they have or something like that. But it's always a guesstimate. It's not, it's not a for sure, like, oh, you get X amount of downloads. Therefore, it's worth this person's time to come on your show. Nobody really has that data in terms of agencies. Yeah. And I do know, uh, again, because sometimes when we, reach, when we reach out to guests, and it's interesting because we'll reach out to guests with giant platforms. We'll reach out to guests with smaller platforms, depending on the story base and the lesson and, the merit, you know, depending on what you want to the theme of your show, that episode that day, right? It's interesting. I'm curious to know your experience with this because some of the people we'll reach out to that I'll be like, oh, this person will never be on our show. They're like, oh, I love what you're doing, man. Yeah, I'm in and I'm part of it. And you're like, just like, just like that. And then other people, you're like, man, this person could really use some help getting their message out. Uh, We're going to help them and give them a platform. And they're like, yeah, no, um, you know, it's, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, excuse me, (laughs) like what? (laughs) Yeah, it's so true. It's definitely, there's, it's definitely not like a science, you know what I mean? You can, you can try to make it as much as you can, which I've definitely tried to do. But um, at the end of the day, some people are going to say yes, that you didn't think would say yes. And some people are going to say no, that you didn't think would say no. And, and uh, that's just part of the game. And, uh, you know, just got to get used to that kind of stuff. Yeah, it definitely takes some getting used to. I see you have something like, like 465 episodes or you're, you're up there. Yes, ma'am. Yep. We got that's- uh, coming up on 500 now. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible props to you all for, for getting, <laughs> for getting that takes, takes a lot of commitment. Um, uh, definitely at yeah. the beginning when you're not making any money or, you know, like seeing any traction or seeing any downloads come through, it's definitely a, a commitment at the beginning when you're still producing that much content and just kind of, you're taking so much of your free time to put all work into this and then like nothing's happening. It's, it's pretty frustrating at the beginning, but you just, you got to have faith for the, for the long term and the end result, you know? You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey, it's Dave Brown again, real quick, and we'll get right back to this week's podcast episode with Travis Chappell. But Barb and I are really excited about our our new community and association called the Great American Syndicate. It's really just a small piece of something much bigger, and that's shifting the focus away from hate and back towards hope. It's about taking a stand for freedom, the American dream, and returning this country back to its patriotic core. We're all about self, family, community, and country. And in conjunction with our brand new apparel line, American Snippets Apparel, we're giving away free t-shirts just for checking out our community and learning more about what the Great American Syndicate is all about. Inside of the syndicate, there's member discounts and perks from companies all across the country, from movie tickets to pizza, hotels, car rentals, you name it, everything else in between. Uh, We also have trainings from experts inside of there, and it's just a community to connect with like-minded, grateful, patriotic Americans like yourself. So if you want to claim a free t-shirt, I highly encourage you to do so while supplies last. Go to greatamericansyndicate.com, just pay shipping and handling, and we'll get one out to you straight away in the mail. Uh, Again, Barb and I are super grateful that you tune in each and every week, and we would love for you to be a, a part of our community too. So without further ado, let's get back to this week's episode with Travis Chappell. Yeah. How did you go about getting your first set of guests when you just said, Hey, Uh, I'm going to start this podcast and it's going to be amazing. 
Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously a little bit different than that, but yeah. Yeah, more or less like that was, that was kind of the, the message. Like I, my first reach out message, I would even say something like that in the email. Like, you know, I, I, I know that we're pre-launch right now, uh, but I, you know, uh, I said something like I, when I start something, I have no intention of ever quitting on it or something. And I'm happy to return the favor once we have a larger audience or something like that. I, said something like that in my initial reach outs, just to acknowledge that like, Hey, look, I know that right now you're doing me a favor by coming on my show, but I'm happy to return that favor later when we have a lot, not if we have a lot of downloads, but when we have a lot of downloads, because that was like the commitment level that I had at the time was, it wasn't another option for me. It was just like, I'm going to do this until it works. I'm not going to do this. If it works, I'm not going to do this. If I happen to get X amount of downloads in six months or two months or whatever, it was never like that. It was, it was always a a long-term commitment, a long-term play for me. Yeah, that sounds like already you made better decisions than we did. When we started this podcast, we did, we're like, we're going to start this podcast. We interviewed one person and launched. (laughs) 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 Whoops. Yeah, Yeah, that was uh, the the big thing for me was hiring a coach. So I, I went out and hired a coach and then went to a podcast mastermind. I probably honestly spent a little bit too much money on education and things like that, but uh, it, it ended up serving me in the long run. Uh, but at the beginning, it was like, uh, I, I ended up having, I don't know if I've said this before on a show, but uh, I had a, a personal credit card that I pulled out that I viewed as like my business credit card. I didn't have a business. It wasn't a name. In, uh, there was no LLC. There wasn't DBA. There was nothing. It was just a personal credit card. But I was like, this is my business credit card. So I just started putting everything on that credit card. It was a $42,000 credit limit. Um, and one thing I've always been really anal on is, is having good credit and paying my stuff on time and making sure because that makes a big difference in things. So that was a 0% interest credit card um, that I had for like you know 16 months or whatever the introductory uh, 0% APR was. And so I knew that like... I could put money on this, but in 15 months, I'm gonna have to pay it off or I'm gonna have to be paying, you know, 18% interest or whatever. Because even, even if you have a good credit, a credit card, a good interest rate on a credit card is what, 16%, yeah. which is still atrocious and something that you don't want to pay. So um, I, I ended up maxing out that credit card part with, uh, with like masterminds, coaching, courses, events, hotels, flights, all that kind of stuff to get this stuff going. Um, and, uh, but, uh, within the first year before I had to pay any interest on it, I, I paid the, the whole thing off with revenue that came in from the show. That's amazing. And what you just said, you maybe spent too much on, on education, but then right there, right afterwards, I think you just proved that. I don't know that there is too much you can spend on education. Um, in For hindsight, sure. looking if back, you follow through. yes, yeah. if you follow through and that's the other thing too, because I think a lot of people will think that if, but for instance, you went to this mastermind, you, you didn't just go to any random mastermind. You went to mastermind with the best in the, in the business, you know, you, you didn't start small. So you went in with that mindset. I'm in, man, if I'm going to go in this, I'm in. Right. But then followed up with a lot of action. That that's That's the part where a lot miss because yeah, they fit just spending the money is the action that's going to be able to get them the result. And that's just the first step. That's just the first step in, 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 in the process. You've got to follow it up with immense amounts of action and uh, trial and error and, um, and testing and things like that. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that second part. They'll do the first part. And then those are the same people, by the way, that just talk mad crap about masterminds and uh, coaching and stuff like that. Because like, well, I paid this coach and I didn't you know, get anything from it. And it's like, well, did you do what they told you to do? It's like, well, you know, they said to do this and that was ridiculous. And it's like, okay, well then you can't fault them. <laughs> if you didn't even try the things that they told you to do, if you didn't even like put 
into action the things that you learned in that three day weekend, then what do you like? How how can you blame that on them? You didn't even try it to see if it worked. You know what I mean? So um, uh, it has to be followed up with an immense amount of action. The action is actually the bulk of the work. It's like you know ten percent at the beginning, and then you got to just take a bunch of action afterwards. There's plenty of other people that I've been in groups with, been in coaching settings with, um, who've learned all the same information that I got, who just never did anything with it and are in the same position now that they were in when I started three plus years ago. Um, and you know, now we've been able to, to build a, a successful show. Yeah. And so talk for a minute about that mastermind, because you, again, you went to a mastermind with people who are at the, at the top of the game and already successful and doing those things because I know a lot of people would be hesitant to to enter into that arena or maybe you would feel self-conscious about going in there like I'm going to go to this mastermind but I'm going to just sit in the back because I don't deserve to be here with these people Uh, so how did you go into that room or that event with those people that you know I mean probably not all of them are like up there but definitely I'm guessing a, a handful are solid way up there, people in the, in their field. So how did you walk in and make yourself a peer or a colleague off the bat instead of an audience member? Yeah, that's a really good question, Barb. And I, I think a lot of it just comes down to your level of confidence in the things that you can bring to the table and what you have done before. And uh, I knew that I was entering a new arena that I'd never done before. The, uh, other, all the other people there had, there was five people there. Um, and then it was John Lee Dumas who was running the mastermind uh, with his uh, girlfriend and business partner, Kate. And uh, so John's at the top of the game and there's five of us that are there trying to learn from him. A couple of people, you know, one of them was a, a CEO of one of John Maxwell's companies and one of them ran his multi seven figure health practice. One of them uh, does like uh, high level insurance for uh, businesses. And then another one was running a top rated like health podcast at the time. And I'm just like the newbie who just came from door to door sales, still doing door to door sales, not just came from it. I was still doing it because I obviously wasn't, uh, it was pre launched. So I wasn't making any money online. I was still doing door to door at the time. And uh, so it, it was, de- I was definitely the newbie there. And like looking back on it now, I'm sure that I came across exactly as a newbie because there's just some things that you just don't know. You don't know how to talk, uh, you know, you don't know the terminology, you don't know the lingo, you don't know how to help people in, in that type of mastermind setting. Um, but uh, to me, the, the big, my biggest takeaway from the weekend was just the relationship. And that's what I knew going into it was like, yes, I'm probably going to get some good information. And I did get some good information, but the information that I got pales in comparison to the relationships that I was able to build there. And, uh, you know, it was just a good, a good, a good group of people. I think they respected my, um, my ability to sell, I think was the big thing probably just because it was hundred percent commission door to door that I'd done for years and not a lot of people can do that type of stuff. And so, um, I was blessed to be there with a good group that, um, that even though I was the newbie, they still understood that I might've had some things to bring to the table, especially around selling that they might not have thought about before. Um, so I thought that was uh, th- I thought that was really cool that they you know really had that inclusive uh, attitude toward me even though they all knew that I was the guy the guy that was just trying to come in and like learn from everybody else and didn't have much to offer. Um, so I think I think that made a difference and and honestly it was a there was another huge reason that I went it was wasn't just the relationship with JLD and Kate it was the relationship that I knew that the other people would I knew that the other people coming would also be high level if you're also spending sixty five hundred bucks on just like three days in Puerto Rico um, then uh, then you're then you're probably not somebody that likes to just mess around and uh, and stay mediocre your whole life. You know what I mean? Like you're probably somebody that is good, a good person to be around. It's the people that sharpen you, people that make you a better version of yourself. And uh, so that was really the main reason I was going for 
was for those relationships. Because at the time, I just I was starting from scratch, didn't really know anybody that had been successful in that world, didn't know anybody who um, who I could you know talk with and ask questions about and then you know things like that. So uh, the relationships for me were, were the most important part. But um, I think I think I was just coming to a new opportunity with um, with the knowledge that you know, hey, I'm not new to new opportunities at this point. I've, you know, reinvented myself a couple of times already. And uh, I know that if I put my mind to it, I can, I can have success in this arena. Um, so I think that level, I think, I think the confidence that I had coming into it uh, was probably somewhat helpful in that as well. But I also kind of got lucky with the people that they were, that were there because they're just really great people. They could have easily been like, oh, who's this kid? Why is he here? You know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, but they weren't like that at all. Yeah, I think probably they feed off of your energy too, right? You're gonna get bounced back at you what you put out there. So if you walk in yeah. there, like I don't deserve to be here, you probably make them uncomfortable. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You tell people what to think about you. You know what I yeah. mean? And and uh, and I, I can't. I, but I also think self awareness is a big part of that. I, I was never the fake it till you make it guy either. I wasn't like coming in acting like I was big stuff when I wasn't either. There, you know what I mean? There's definitely a line between that confidence and that arrogance. And, and especially when the arrogance is completely unfounded, that's even worse than arrogance that has, you know what I mean? Like if somebody's arrogant and they've are amazing and they've done everything right. And they've like, you know, built this amazing thing that nobody's done. It's like, okay, it's still annoying that you're arrogant, but at least you have the right to be, you know what I mean? Like with some people, it's like, where is this arrogance even coming from? Like you don't even deserve to be this cocky right now. And so I, I was, it was never the fake it till you make it type of mentality for me. It was just, you know, like it was a level of confidence in like my ability to learn and adapt and reinvent myself. And I, I think it was combined with the fact that I was just sponge that weekend. Whenever we sat down in breaks, I asked everybody questions. I was curious about what everybody you know, had to say and, uh, and ask for feedback from everybody there. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't pretending to have all the answers for everybody's problems, but if I did have something that, might, that I thought might have been able to help, I, I piped up a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if anybody even thought that it was useful or helpful at the time. You know, Obviously, if I could go back, I'd be able to give you a better answer for that. But, um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think that, that it, was like, it was a little bit of the combination of the two. It's like, okay, this is a kid. He's, I was 24 at the time. You know, he's reinventing himself. He's, you know, done some things well um, and coming into this new space, but he's not like trying to come in here acting like he owns the place. He's coming in here asking questions to all of us. You know what I mean? I, I think that makes a big difference and goes a long way when you don't try to that, you know, stupid fake it till you make it BS. Yeah. So speaking of the people that you knew and who you were surrounding yourself with, you said you were 24 when you go to this. What, where were you coming from? Because the point you just made is that you didn't know anybody who had done those things, gone out there and made that money, built that fortune and done that. And when you're coming from a place where you, the people that you're surrounded with or you grow up with or are close to aren't necessarily open or aware of or interested in doing anything outside of whatever it is that they're doing in that, in that space or their own world, how do you make that leap? I, it looks like you grew up in a, in a small community I mean, did you actually stay on the same campus from kindergarten to, to college? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's um, a yeah, huge but, break from that. Yeah, sure. And that's a really good insight. We, uh, I lived like two minutes from the campus growing up. And uh, it was, it was, it was, I don't use the word cult because it's not a cult. It's not a technical definition of a cult. Um, but in terms of like what a church could be, it is was very strict, very religious conservative bubble and oddly enough in the middle of Southern California, uh, which is a place where you wouldn't expect a church no, like that. Yeah. Exist. 
especially because it was so big. It was like 6,000 member. Um, it was the leading church of this entire, like, so the, the movement was called independent, is called uh, independent fundamental Baptists. Um, so that's what we were. And our church was kind of like the head of that entire movement nationwide. Um, and, uh, and so there was 6,000 member church. We had a almost a thousand member college on the same campus. There was a few hundred students in the school K through 12. There's like a publishing uh, company slash ministry on the campus. You know, like the, the pastor there took that church from 12 people in the eighties and took it all the way up to six, 7,000 members in Lancaster, California. Like nobody knew, even knows where that is. Um, so like the, what he, what he was able to do there is, is still, I, you know, I respect, I respect the hustle and respect what he built there. Uh, but, uh, but that's how, that's how I grew up. So we, you know, we lived really close to the church campus. Um, we were there on Sunday, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then we had church uh, Wednesday night. And then um, in high school, I've served in the bus ministry. So I was at church at 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings, and we would go pick up kids from the community, take them to church. Um, and then I served there. And then we'd had Sunday service right after that. We'd come home, eat lunch, and like uh, usually go do some yard work for the afternoon and then, uh, and then get changed back into church clothes and go back on Sunday night. But then Monday morning, it's back in the same campus for school and then we had chapel during school. And so, um, I went there from kindergarten all the way through my senior year of college. Uh, so graduated kindergarten, eighth grade, high school, college, all in the same exact 20, 30 acre campus, whatever it is now. Um, uh, and so, yeah, when I, when I decided to not be in ministry, cause the college there is purely ministerial college. There's no, what we would call quote unquote secular degrees, um, at the college, they're all ministerial degrees. And so I got my ministerial degree, uh, double major Bible and church ministries. And, and, uh, and then when I, uh, when I graduated, that was when we had finally for the first time I ever moved up to Fresno. Um, so the first time ever I left the bubble. Uh, so to speak, and um, and started kind of making decisions for myself, and really, honestly, started trying to started finding myself um, outside of the influence of all of the people that I had known my entire life, the authority that I had my entire life, the, the rules and the boundaries that I had my entire life. I uh, finally started getting to know who, who I was a little bit at my core, and uh, found out that ministry wasn't the path for me, started going down a different direction. And because of that, I kind of isolated myself a lot from all of the people that I grew up with, um, in, in that sense, because, you know, it, it was very much that, uh, that, that, uh, mentality of, you know, that this is the direction you're supposed to go. And if you don't go that way, you know, like so I tell people it's kind of split up into three groups. It was like my real friends, the people who like didn't care. Right. Um, but that was very, very few small amount of people. And then it was, um, you know, people who were completely indifferent, you know, like if you were going the ministry route, they would help you as much as they could. But as soon as you decided not to, it'd be like, all right, well, you know, we don't wish bad on you, but good luck. You know, we're not really going to do anything for you at this point. We're not going to help you in any way, you know? Um, and then there was the third group, which is like the, the, all the people who were just talking crap about, about me and the decisions that I was making and, and, um, and, you know, just saying really rude and mean things about me just because I decided to, you know, it was okay, that I decided it was okay to drink a beer with dinner or it was okay to like say a cuss word every once and again, uh, every once in a while, or it was okay to like, you know, go dance at a club with some of my friends in a new, in a different country or something. So there was, you know, those three groups of people that I kind of separated into, but it was definitely a decision of isolation from the rest of my entire network that I knew my, literally my entire life. You know what I mean? Like everything that I knew was at that, was at that one place. Um, and so when I got out of that, it, it was, uh, it was very much like, 
I don't, I don't know anybody. So when I tell people, like when I started from scratch, like I started from scratch, I didn't, I didn't have any like friends that I grew up with whose dad was just super rich that I could go hang out at their house and ask him questions. I get like zero people that I had access to that were doing anything that I wanted to be able to do as well. So that's why the build your network, you know, message and, and, uh, um, uh, podcast and everything that I started was meant so much to me because it was quite literally for me, just like a, a, a mission that I was on to build my own network because it went, it was nothing. It was non-existent at the time. Yeah. I mean, so do you have brothers, sisters? I have one sister. Yeah. She's uh, eight, 19 months older than I am. And did she also strike out on her own path or did she stay home? Yeah. She, home? She's kind of always been pretty yeah. independent. Um, uh, she, she is still much more aligned with, uh, some of the, you know, guiding morals of, of how we grew up, but you know, she'll still, you know, drink and, and stuff like that. And she's, she's a lot, what I would say is she's a lot more like normal than, uh, than we were growing up. And, and like, what, you just look back at it and it's like, we were totally abnormal. This is not a normal way to, to, grow up in the world. So, uh, she's definitely normal, but, uh, she, she has always been independent. So she actually lives in China. She teaches English in China, wow. um, right now. So she's, she's always kind of done her own thing. Yeah. I'd say she spread those wings, dude. I grew up yeah. Catholic eight years of Catholic school. Right. Oh, and, um, <laughs> yeah. And like if the radio was on, it was a polka. Like that's what, <laughs> that was it. So I used to think I was, I, when I would try to explain to people and even today, I'm like, no, like we just didn't grow up with any of the things that most of everyone else grew yeah. up, but I feel like you're probably yeah. somebody who can relate, but I yes, um, very much so. Yes. But, some, sorry to keep interrupting. No, you, no, please. Definitely some cultural knowledge gaps for sure. You know what I mean? Like just different things that happened in music. Music. Culture, I was going to say, yes. I, I don't know that everybody's singing the, singing the, all the lyrics too. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah it's all that. Or like, I'll, I'll recognize the song because it was so popular that it was like, you know, you hear it in the mall when you walk through, yes. but like everybody else is like singing all the lyrics together. You know, like if you're in a club with a bunch of people and everybody's like, or, or at, even at a karaoke bar or whatever, and everybody's singing the same song. And I'm like, I don't know what this song is you know what i mean um so but you pick up the you pick up the refrain the chorus and you can jam with that right yeah right yeah exactly yeah, yeah the three sweet carol yeah right yeah like right. i got that like two words yeah i got it yeah. absolutely when people would say what's your favorite band you'd be like uh like yeah, um, right. yes yeah so I so i get you but still it's, that's, that's my <laughs> it's i mean yeah you 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 were next level that um so but it's so interesting so you made that decision and now it's one thing to to say, hey, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to like step away from my comfort zone and the people that I know surround me and have me. What was that like first week or month or six months like when you when you made that leap and had to figure out where to go? I was honestly very um, the word I'd use to describe it the most probably would be lonely because um, the 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 thing is that I was married at the time. Um, we, my wife and I were high school sweethearts. We got married our, um, uh, during senior year of, of college. So we finished school. Both of us finished a semester early. So we finished in December Then we got married in January. We walked and got our diplomas in May. And then we, um, moved to Fresno in September. So it was like so many things that changed in, in, in a year's time. And then I started just going I was very much somebody that's, um, I know we're all emotional creatures, but I, uh, I'm more on the logic side than you know, I think it's a personality would be. And my wife is definitely more on the emotion side. 
And she grew up in a very similar way that I did. And we went to all of high school together, but she grew up in a different church in the same independent fundamental Baptist movement. So, um, you know, she had all those same emotional attachments to all those things as, as I did. But when I would figure out logically why I, I didn't want to do this certain thing anymore, or why I did want to do this other thing, um, uh, it would, I would always take her a little bit more time to get over those types of things. Even though she understood it from a logical standpoint, she was just like, you know, when you've been told something since you were two years old, since the time you've ever been able to form a thought for yourself. Um, it's really hard to, so we, you know, for a couple of years, we had some contention in our marriage, even over something simple like drinking, even though like we weren't getting drunk, we weren't getting blackout drunk at like, you know, clubs and, you know, waking up in the street and doing dumb stuff. Like we were just like at a friend's house, drinking beer, watching a game. And like, that was enough to be able to have large points of contention in our marriage. So when, uh, when that's why I said it was lonely because whenever, you know, the, the couple of times where I did voice something that I thought, um, that, you know, was, a, uh, in the opposite of what we were taught growing up. Um, we ended up getting into a big argument. I didn't want to get in a big argument cause I don't like arguing about stuff like that. So I just kind of internalized it. And honestly, Barb, it was, it was the hope that I would someday come back to the way that I was raised. It was like, I don't know why all these thoughts are happening in my head. I don't know why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling about all of these you know, guiding morals and principles that I've been raised with my entire life. I don't know why I'm feeling like this, but hopefully like if I can read enough things and study enough about it, like I'm going to come back to that, you know, world. so like, I just was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring up the conversation now because why would I try to put myself into this big contention area? You know what I mean? And so my wife at the same time that I was trying to figure out all this other stuff, she's praying for me to come back to God and come back to the church and you know, all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's a big, big area of contention there. And it was just an extremely lonely period because there's nobody that I could talk to about it. Nobody that I knew that I could talk to about it, that I, that, that would just listen. I knew that anybody that I talked to about it, my parents, my, my wife, my friends growing up, like every, anybody that I knew my pastor, like I knew that everybody that I talked to about it would be listening through the perspective of how do I change your mind and not listening with the perspective of maybe you're right. Let's hear what you have to say. And so I just, I just internalized it and kept it all to myself. Wow. That sounds a lot like what's going on in this whole entire country today. <laughs> you know, the perspective <laughs> of how people listen yeah. to each other, um, exactly right. or, yeah. you know, yeah. Or don't. I'm so, a lot about that for sure. You're what? It taught me a lot about that for sure. I think that's an advantage now that I have because I, 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 I know, I know how polarly opposite my belief system and morals and, and things and not, not even morals really. I, I'm, I'm still relatively conservative. Um, you know, I would say I'm right in the middle with maybe a little bit leaning to the right. Um, but, uh, I, I, I can at least have a conversation with somebody that disagrees with me completely without flying off the handle and cussing them out. Like that's the thing that it taught me was that, wow, I thought for so long, like, so long, I was about to commit my life to this ministry for the rest of my life, commit my life to making $0, which has always been a value of mine. I just like having and making money. There's something that I've always enjoyed, which is why I'm an entrepreneur now. But, you know, I, I knew that I've, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice all of my dreams and desires to go down this ministerial path, which is what eventually forced me to try to figure it out. Because I was like, if I'm going to really dedicate my life to this, I better like know what I'm talking about, you know, so, um, when, when it, when it came down to it, I just, you know, started doing a ton of research on it and ended up in a, in a kind of a different space. But my point is saying is like, I was, I was so hardcore hundred percent believing everything that I believed and then figured out that I was wrong in terms of like where I am now. So if I was that hardcore believing that what other things maybe do I have that I'm not seeing that could potentially be wrong. And if I listen to somebody else's opinion, 
I should be willing to change those things. I always thought it was super incongruent that I was always, you know, I, I was soul winning on Saturdays, which means we would go out, we'd have a quick message, like a quick little mini service. And then we'd go out and invite people to church, literally knock doors, hand out flyers, try to get them to come to church. Like, like imagine some 13 year old, like knocking on your door and asking you if you died today, if you would go to heaven or hell. And I, like, that's what I was doing oh and like leading to leading people to the Lord on their doorstep, like with a flyer in my hand with a couple of Bible verses. Like that's the kind of stuff that, that I was doing when I was a teenager, you know? Um, and so when, when, uh, if, if, if that had happened to me today, it, I just, it was, it's so funny for me looking back on it to think like how, how, what audacity I had as a 13 year old to think that I had all the answers to life, you know, but I, I say that to say I was so bought into it. I was so hardcore believing in it. And I tried to get everybody to come to my side of the table. If I met somebody who's a different religion or something like my thought process was not, let me hear them out to hear what it seems, you know, to, to, to seek out the truth. My thought process was, where's the holes in your arguments that I can convince you what I believe. And uh, there was one day where it just kind of dawned on me, Barb, that like, that's kind of not fair for me to expect everybody else to be open to what I believe if I'm not open to hearing what they believe. Because it dawned on me that like if a Mormon person or a, a Muslim person or somebody like that invited me to their church or their synagogue or whatever it is that they their mosque that they that they go to, you know what I mean? I would say no. And I was like, that's not really fair though, because if I invited them to my church, I'd want them to come and be open to hearing, you know, the truth. So if I am expecting everybody else to be open to my opinions and my belief systems, but I'm not willing to do the same thing, that's the height of hypocrisy and incongruency and inconsistency with my own belief system. And so um, that's really when I started being like, you know what, I'm going to start being open to what other people have to say, start listening to what other people have to say and start entertaining some other thoughts that might you know, really the, the problem is people won't do that because it disrupts everything. You know what I mean? Like when I changed a belief system that was deep rooted in me since I was three years old, it up, it uprooted my entire life. Everything was different. You know, like, like I said, we start we're like, Oh, I can drink. Oh, I can, I can say a cuss word every, every now and again. Oh, like I don't have these same values as I, as I like everything changes and people are so afraid of that change and navigating that change. And it is scary and it wasn't fun sometimes, but um, at the end of the day, I, 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 I wasn't okay with, with living with myself when I knew that like, I, I wouldn't give anybody the time of day, but I always expected everybody else to do the, to do that for me. And I, I just thought that that wasn't a fair thing for me to expect from other people. Uh, will you run for office, please? I <laughs> 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 to say, yeah. all right. Um, all right. That is, it's, it's again, there's so much in there that I hope people really paid attention to and pulled those nuggets out to apply to their own lives. Cause a very common, question or comment that we'll get is how did you, how did you do that? How did you like do what you're doing when everybody thinks that it's so strange or even people, you know, in our, in our own lives, like you, a podcast, what, like, what, what is that? Like, why would you do that? You know, and we run into, and I'm sure you do too, so many people who give up on that, that flicker or that flame, just because the initial feedback they get, they have a couple of people say, Oh, that's crazy. Or that's weird. And instantly they just smother it because, uh, of the, what the people around them say. So sometimes you do have to cut that circle apart, open it up and rearrange it. And I always call it triaging the people in your life and their proximity to you and all that. And it is so important and, and huge. And now, I mean, you've come a really long way from that small centered uh, community and you did that. That's so cool as well that you just took that leap on the credit card and said, I'm going to 
to, I'm in, you know, <laughs> I, I tell people now is like, maybe I spent a little too much. I got a little bit too like free with it. But, uh, but I mean, at the same time, I would rather spend a little bit too much. Yeah. And, and because I think every time I swiped that card, what I tell people is like, even if the particular investment that you're making, like, let's say you buy a thousand dollar course and you don't even ever take a video or a module, you never even go through it. And you're like, man, I just wasted a thousand bucks. Don't look at it that way. Just look at it as like, you know what? I made another bet on myself to be successful. Because if I'm worried about a thousand bucks, that's that's just so small minded. Like I, I I want I want to create wealth, like real wealth, like like tens of millions of dollars for me and for my family, hundreds of millions of dollars for me and for my family. And if a thousand bucks is going to be what stands in between me and my desire to get that done, then I'm not going to make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. A, it's a thousand bucks. It's not that big of a deal. You know what I mean? Like if I'm that worried about it, like I need to be thinking more. Like how can I earn more? How can I make how can I make it to where losing a thousand bucks is nothing like, Oh, thousand bucks. Okay. Whatever. Who cares? It's a thousand bucks. Whatever. That's not that big of a deal. You know, because there are people who can lose a hundred thousand bucks and they don't care people that can lose a million bucks and they don't care. It's all completely relative to the way that you perceive money and how it works in your life. And I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not suggesting it all to be flippant by the way. I'm just saying, offering a different perspective on maybe something that you if you're listening, have spent money on that you never did anything with. And you're like, ah, oh, that was a waste of money. That was stupid. Well, maybe it wasn't. You know, I think every time that I swept that card, like I said, there was probably an extra eight, nine thousand dollars on that that I did not need to spend. Uh, but I think every time I did it, it was another bet on myself. It was another. It was another deposit into like into the investment of Travis, uh, which is what you know. I think those types of things increase your confidence a little bit. They, uh, they hold you accountable to continuing to go after your dreams. Because if you just say that you're going to do something, but then at the end of nine months, there's $0 on your credit card and you don't have to work to pay it off. You know what I mean? Like you tend to be a little bit less working. You tend to not think about it as much. But like when you got... When, you, when you're like, man, I got a few months to pay this thing off. I'm going to be paying super high interest and I'm going to be screwing over my family's finances, which is the opposite of what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? Um, I, it, it holds you accountable to doing those things. And you know, I take a lot of things away from how I grew up. One of those principles comes from the Bible that says where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And uh, that's, that's extremely true. And another way to say it now is uh, when you pay, you pay attention. And the things that you continue to invest in, that's the things that you're going to be continuing to continuing to think about. And I think there's a direct correlation there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I like the, when you pay, you pay attention because, um, yeah, you get a lot of requests for, can I just pick your brain for a minute? Or, you know, can I just get that book for free? Or can I just sneak into this? And I, yep, <laughs> it, it gets exactly. a, little, a little frustrating. I try to tell people that the same way. Remember when back in the day, it seemed like when you got into business, you needed a business card first. And then it was, you needed a book. And yeah. now it's like, forget about the business card. The book is still very important, but you also almost need a podcast now uh, to, yeah. to really get out there and build that network. network. Let's get into that um, before, we're, before we're completely out of time. Let's get in, back into the podcast world and talk a bit about the, the things that having a podcast introduces into your life or the world or the opportunities it opens. Sure. And uh, podcasting is definitely my platform of choice. Uh, but the big takeaways here, the big takeaway here is that you need to be on some platform. You have to be creating content in some way. 
um, if your network matters to you. That, that's my that's my caveat. Is like if you don't really care about relationships, which I don't think there's not many people who are just going to blatantly admit that they don't care about relationships, but um, then it might not be for you. Because the thing is, people people mix up the reason to get into content creation. The reason is not always to get a two million subscriber YouTube channel or to get you know a million downloads a month on your podcast. A huge huge benefit that I've gotten from my show is. J- just the relationships that I've taken away from it. Even before I started getting good downloads, even before I, I built some decent audience and, and stuff like that, like just the fact that I could get in front of some of these people that never would have given me the time of day otherwise had I not had a podcast um, allowed me to connect with them in a really uh, value add type of a way where I didn't have a big ask for them. I wasn't, there was no other hidden agenda. It was simply like, I would love to connect with you and share your story on my show. That's it. Like that, that's, that's the big connection piece there. And it allows you the perfect excuse. So my show is called Build Your Network. People always ask me, um, you know, what's your best networking tip or top networking tip or whatever. And I all, you know, there, there's two ways that I can go with that question. Sometimes it's like, okay, well, philosophically, there's a few things like add value, give without expecting anything, different things like that. Um, but uh, the most practical piece of, of advice that I give to everybody is start a freaking podcast. Like I said, even if you don't have the intention of becoming the next Tim Ferriss or getting a billion downloads or whatever, or, or turning it into a, an, an income stream, even like just the fact that it gives you access to people who normally would just tell you no. I don't have time to get on a five minute phone call. I literally had people tell me that at the beginning, Barb. I asked people for three minutes, five minutes on a phone call um, it, because I thought that was a softer ask than asking them to be a guest on my show. And then they said no to the phone call, saw that I did a podcast in my email signature, and then suggested a podcast interview instead of a phone call. And I was like, oh, wait, it's like crazy, right? Yeah. No to a three minute phone call, <laughs> three minute phone call that nobody even has to know took place but you're going to say yes to a 40 minute podcast interview where I get to share with my audience and leverage your name as credibility that uh, is injected into my brand. Like there's something to this. There's something, there's something about this uh, that, uh, that, that some people are definitely not picking up on. And so I tell people all the time, like the biggest thing is, is your network that comes from your content creation. But Podcasting specifically, another the big one of the big words that I use a lot is trust. There's, you know, with when people don't trust, they don't transact. There's no business that takes place if trust isn't there. And obviously that varies widely depending on, you know, the price of your product and things like that. The higher the price is, the more trust you need to be able to have the transaction. The lower the price is, the less trust that you need. You know, if you're selling coffee mugs in an e-commerce store, there's a lot less trust that has to happen versus if you're selling a $25,000 consulting package or something like that. There's a lot more trust that's required there. And the thing with podcasting is that it allows people to spend the most time with you of any other platform that exists. And what's one of the big factors in relationship building and trust building? It's just time. It's just time. You you have to spend time with somebody to get to know them, to trust them, to see if you are somebody that resonates with them. And with with Instagram or something like that, you're making a post, people scroll past it. Maybe they look at it for a second or two. How many Instagram posts would you need to post in order to be able to spend the amount of time with somebody that you spend with them on a single podcast episode? And the answer is almost infinite because we don't really know how long people are looking at your Instagram posts. It's like maybe two seconds. If you have an awesome video, maybe 30 seconds, you know, like the majority of people just aren't sitting on Instagram and watching a 25 minute video or something like that. But if uh, you turn on your podcast episode, 80% of podcast listeners listen to all or most of the episode after they hit play. 80, 80% listen to all or most. So you release an hour long interview, like the one that we're on right now, people spend an hour with you or 45 minutes with you at the least. How many Instagram posts, how many LinkedIn posts, how many blog articles, how many um, you know, YouTube videos would they have to, to go through to spend that much time with you that they do on a single podcast episode? So it's, 
episode. So it, it, it drives trust uh, faster and deeper than, than any other uh, any other form of content creation, in my opinion. So th- those are a couple of the two really top reasons for me to, to when I talk with people about their podcast. Because like, like I said, I, I think people look at it the wrong way. They're, they always look at it as like, well, I don't want to... You know, if I do it, I want to do it really well, and I don't want to be, you know, I, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole. I just don't have enough time to, you know, create this audience and all this other stuff. And it's like, look, then don't use it. You don't even have to advertise it to, you know, more, to people outside of your current customer list and stuff like that. Just use it for your customer base and say, hey, we have this other resource, and use it as a way for people to get to trust you better that already are customers of yours because it's ten times more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to keep an existing customer anyway. So use it to continue to drive trust with your existing customer base, and then use it as a way to become a master networker and connector within your own industry or niche, which only adds value to all the other amazing people that are in your in your industry. So those are the, the two of the top reasons for me. I would totally agree. And, you know, based on our, our own experience and the way that our world has expanded since the podcast started, Travis, uh, if people want to connect with you and work with you and learn more about the services you offer, which are extensive, again, you have the masterminds, you do speak at, at events and come talk about a, a whole range of topics. Uh, that can be seen on your page and you have um, obviously the podcast and the new, the new software that you're launching. So I would definitely recommend that people interested in expanding your network, growing it, learning more about how to build relationships, connect and see where that can take you. Go check out Travis and Travis uh, fill us in again on where to do so. Yes, ma'am. Uh, just go to travischapel.com is the best place to find all the information on me. C H A P P E L L. Uh, social media in particular, I spend the most time on Instagram. So if you want to DM me over there, I'll always respond. That's at Travis Chapel over on Instagram as well. Yeah. And I can vouch for that because that's how we landed you. That's, you know, oh, you're awesome. very responsive, yeah, very responsive on Instagram. One more question before we go. And this is the question that we have to ask here on American Snippets, because as I mentioned to you before we started recording, we started American Snippets. Uh, it is a patriotic platform. But mostly, you know, we do center on and what you are a great example of is that concept of the American dream, which we know ourselves is not, in fact, dead or impossible or out of reach. You're excellent uh, lesson for all of us and how you can take something that you're interested in, passionate about and build your own version of that life that you want to build. So we know the American dream looks different for Holy everybody cow. and everybody has a Man, the myth version of, of that. Um, I don't know what that was. We know everybody has a different version of that. So we'd like to ask you, uh, what is your version of the American dream? My version of the American dream is just being able to live the life that you choose to live. And that looks that I answer that question like that because it looks different for everybody. Not everybody wants the same things that I want. I'm not trying to force my dreams on them, but it's the ability to choose and make those decisions. And that's my version of the American dream. Sure. Yep. That is ours as well. Travis, again, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today and to, you know, entrust us with being your host uh, on our platform. I know that that's also a big deal um, to do so. So we appreciate it and we appreciate you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much for having me, Barb. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. There you have it. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to personally thank Travis Chapel for being here as well and sharing his story If you got any value out of this episode or any episode we've done in the past, all that we ask 
is that you leave us a five-star review on iTunes, share this podcast with a friend, share this episode on Facebook or on Instagram. Make sure you tag us at American Snippets. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube as well at American Snippets. We publish a lot of video content there that we don't necessarily publish here on the podcast. And don't forget, each and every week, we do a full write-up, a full story on our guest uh, on americansnippets.com. So head on over to americansnippets.com, check out the featured article, re-listen to the podcast episode, watch the video interview there. And we also include some social media links that you can use to follow Travis Chapel on social and listen to his podcast as well. Appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. <music>